Well, we welcome you to our Good Friday service. For me, one of the joys of Good Friday is one of those few times where maybe I allow myself as a, as a guy to really be reflective before the Lord, to think about what indeed the cross means to me, to think about what impact does that have, not just on my spirituality, but on my whole life in general. And so tonight, the word is expectant. We hope that you've come expectant. You see, the people were expectant. That's why there was a great celebration on Palm Sunday. And the disciples were expectant. That's why they were with him all the way up to the point of arrest. But then it was rattled a little bit for them. And we read that last verse. It says, they cut and ran. Tonight, we also over this weekend, really, have that opportunity to be expectant before God, but there'll also be those times where we could cut and run. The invitation to you tonight, the invitation on this whole Easter weekend, is for you to not cut and run, but you to stay at the foot of the cross to truly see with expectant eyes what Christ can do in your life. I just this last Christmas, for the first time in my life, I'm 38, I watched, um, I watched uh, a few Christmas movies, and, uh, and watching those, those Christmas movies, uh, I, I saw some of these, uh, I, I kind of got locked into to a, a few of these, these, these stories, and the theme that was repeated to me over and over about uh, the coming of Christ, even in secular movies, was this expectancy that there was more than just uh, this baby type of thing. There was, uh, in some scenes, uh, in, in some of these movies, there was, there was even scenes of, of kind of an adult Jesus right alongside of these, these manger type scenes. I thought, it, you know, th- that's a little odd, especially in a secular type movie. And I was, I was preparing uh, this week and talking about Good Friday and talking about what Jesus did. I was thinking about that word. And a friend here at the church, you know, uh, they text me, and the word was expectant, expectancy. That there was more to Jesus than we often just look on him and in this human form. There's more to what he came to do and more to what he came to offer. Remember the character George Bailey? Do you remember the story when, at some point, he failed to exist, and he viewed his life as if he never was born? You know, for the next couple minutes, I want you to picture your life, your existence here tonight, not as if you weren't here, you're going to be here, but picture as if Christ was not here. Picture as if there was no Jesus. There was no Savior that was nailed to a cross, and there was no one that uh, is the center of attention in all of these songs that we normally sing, not only at this time of year, but throughout the year in the Christian church. What would it look like? You see, this was the system that the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people of the Old Testament, they lived in this system. They lived in this system where God was their God and, and God was still the Almighty and God was to be worshipped and praised and honored 
and look to, the same as we think today. But there was a problem there. And the problem was that they sinned before God and had this difficulty in their relationship with God because of their sin, the same way we do today. But think for a moment, today, you don't have Christ. And so your connectiveness now with, with those Jews of the Old Testament, the Hebrews there, is the same. And so what was there? We learned that God does this miraculous thing where he brings his whole people out of captivity from Egypt, and they become this people, his people, wandering through the, the wilderness, and they're free. And in that freedom, God brings about the law. Think of the law as culture for his people. They had been slaves. And God designed this culture, a way for his people to live. Often we interpret the law as the list of do's and don'ts. Now remember, it's similar to today. We have our list of do's and don'ts, don't we? Things we should do and things we shouldn't do. Things that a Christian should do and things that a Christian shouldn't do. Things that are okay outside the church, but they shouldn't happen in the church. And on and on and on. Those type of lists. But that wasn't the intent of the law. The law was a culture that God brought his people. Well, within that culture, there were commands. There were guidelines on how to live. Uh, there were disciplines involved. We find that there were some ceremonial commandments, uh, and ways on how to worship God properly. There was also some moral commandments, which, which dealt more with, with a sinful nature and our, our selfishness. But there were some legal commandments, too, and, and those were some, some ways that uh, you needed to interact with people and how you interacted with people and what, what you were entitled to and what you weren't entitled to fell under some of those. And, and so the law was mixed up with, with those things, and it was culture for its people. Think of it as the Constitution and the bylaws for God's people to live with. But above it all, in the Old Testament, was this desire for God to have communion and, and connectedness with his people. But there was that problem. Sin. Very early on, we learn in the Old Testament that sin was a problem to the point of death. God says all the way back in Leviticus, in Leviticus 17, 11, we even find that sin brought about death. And so we had this issue in the Old Testament from the very beginning that when we violated, not simply violated the law, but we violated what God had, had put before his people, this culture, this guidelines, this way of life, that that sin resulted in death. Not because God had set up this judgment system of, of if you do this, you get, you get certain uh, punishment. If you do something a little worse, you get other punishment. But because when God looked on our selfishness, our turning away, he knew that the more we turned away and walked on our own, that choice was always death without him. All the way back to the very beginning when Adam and Eve, when you eat of this, surely you will die. And so God, not wanting to see his people perish, not wanting to, to see sin separate 
he created a system, a sacrificial system. And in this sacrificial system, it was very simple that there was this substitution that could come in the place of your sins to cover your sins and to bring you into right relationship with God. Now, the book of Hebrews is pretty clear that it, is, it was not this sacrifice that removed your sins, but it covered your sins. You see, this is how it would work. The people would bring their sacrifice to the high priest who, for individual sins, he would slaughter that animal. And the, the shedding of the blood was for the remission of the sins. The shedding of the blood was for the covering of the sin for that individual. There was also this corporate expression of covering of sin where there was this scapegoat. And the priest would lay his hands on this goat, symbolizing the, the sin of the nation on this goat, and they would cast the goat out into the wilderness. And so this sacrificial system went on. A way that I could atone for my sins, atone for the things that I had done wrong, atone for breaking relationship with God. And we learned that this happened not simply on a yearly or monthly, on a weekly, it, it happened on a daily basis. There was daily sacrifices. There was Sabbath sacrifices on the week. There was once a month sacrifices, and, and then there were yearly sacrifices at the festivals. And so this cycle went on and on and on. But a problem came to be. The cycle came to the point where the, the power that was in covering sins and bringing back to right relationship, the joy of being in right relationship with God, at some point in time was replaced. And instead of the joy of right relationship, it was the fulfillment of religious right. It was doing what you needed to do during that time. Check it off your list and move on. Now remember tonight, as you sit, there's no Christ. You sit looking, what if it was like that? And our system was based still on, on this need to sacrifice, this need to go once a year, month, week, daily even, and to seek out whether for me individually or corporately, to seek out this covering of our sins so that we could be in right relationship with God. I picture it kind of like carrying around a big weight. It's a burden. A burden to have to keep going back, to keep going back in this, this sacrificial system. In fact, when it got to the point where this became so religious in nature and act-oriented in nature and less about the, the union and connection with God, God even got to the point where he said, I'm just kind of tired of this all. And in Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, Jesus, or God basically says, I have a new covenant I want to bring you. A new covenant. It's not like the covenants of old. It's a new covenant. It's a covenant that I want to write on your heart. You will be my people and I will be your God. God is saying, basically, I've had it up to here with empty sacrifices. What I really crave with my creation is union, connectiveness, 
knowing you and you knowing me. Not anymore knowing about me, not anymore having a good understanding of the law, but knowing me. And God wants to offer this new covenant. Now think tonight, if it was Jeremiah 31, 31 time, and this is the first time those words were ever uttered to you, one here without Christ, one here that was bound by a sacrificial system, one here that battled constantly uh, this burden of sacrifice and constantly the checking off of, of religious rites, and Jeremiah 31, 31 appeared to you and said, the time is coming. It's a brand new covenant. It's a brand new time. And then flash forward, you remembering those words, and then on the scene comes this guy named Christ. And all those things you grew up knowing about in the Old Testament, it just seemed like they were lining up that this was the guy. This was the one. Now picture the hope that you would have had. Think about the, the hope you might have had that the fulfillment of these, the fulfillment of, of what you had heard in the Old Testament, the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31, a new covenant was going to be yours and the guy was right in front of you that was going to bring it. And then to your shock and to your horror, he's arrested and put on a cross killed, done. The Bible tells us clearly he breathed his last. You stand there and you have a couple options. You have expectancy. He talks something about three days. He's talked about restoring the kingdom. You have expectancy. Or you have, I guess I was wrong, I guess it's time to go back to the old system. For me personally, it was fifth grade. I was working an ice cream stand at my school, and each day I got to keep a, an ice cream as part of my payment for working the ice cream stand. And I thought it very clever that instead of taking the ice cream, I would take the quarter instead. And so that's what I started doing day after day after day, I'd take the quarter instead of the ice cream, and I'd build up a nice little bundle of money. And one day, telling my mother I'm going to run up to the mall and buy something, she said, well, where'd you get the money? And I made up a reason, a lie. Four, five, six, seven, eight lies later, my mom had finally pinned me on, after hours of going back and forth, pinned me on the fact that I had taken that money. In a short period of time, I had gone from this good fifth grader in my head to somebody who stole, to somebody who lied, somebody who cheated, all those things. And the worst thing was my mom said, and we, we weren't even going to church, and my mom said, you're going to go talk to the pastor. And I was in fifth grade. I went and spoke with the pastor. Um, I can't remember anything he said, really, um, though I know it was in the Bible because he opened up and read from it. But I do remember him speaking about the word forgiveness. 
and I remember him talking about the forgiveness coming from God. I was in fifth grade. I was 16 before I became a Christian, so a few years later. But as I look back on that, that time, and I know for that short period of time in my life, there was this realization that I was broken, that I needed something, that I had just lied, I had cheated, and I had stolen from my school. And I had a, I had a crazy mean fifth grade teacher, and I did not want her finding out. I was all those things. For the, really the first moment of my life, I can remember, I looked back and said, I, I need some type of forgiveness. I need some type of reconciliation here. And I didn't have those words at the time to call it. It probably wasn't until I was 15, 16 when I became a Christian I really received that. But the same is true of us tonight. When we come with a heart, when we say, boy, I need something. I need something outside myself. I need forgiveness. I need reconciliation before my God. Then that Jeremiah 31, 31 comes to fruition. The new covenant is here. The new covenant here in Christ. And I need it. I need it. And so now I can look at that cross not in horror, not in cutting and running, but I can look at that cross expectant that that was the sacrificial lamb. That was the scapegoat sent out. That was the remission of my sin poured out there. A few years back, we uh, had rented out a theater and took a, a few hundred people to see the Passion of the Christ together with a church group, and um, it was a powerful, awesome time to see the, the movie. After that movie, about an hour later, the two softball teams from that church met in their, their uh, seasonal competition together. That was the most somber softball game <laughs> we've ever had. Not a word hardly said. Reflection is what was going on. The power of what Christ can bring. And so for you, you have the permission, the freedom. Reflect on it. Reflect tonight. Go before the Lord. Wrestle with the concept of this Savior who has gone to that degree for you. Maybe tonight you're one that, that you've still been seeking. You've still been looking. You've still not been able to sort this whole God thing out. We encourage you, reflect on it, wrestle with it, go before God. But I want to tell you this, tonight it's only part of the story. The main attraction is still coming. Because the Christ that goes to the grave, when we deal and reflect on the sacrifice, it's only a pathway to the redemption that comes with the resurrection. And so I invite you to come and join us Sunday morning, to be a part of the celebration of receiving what Christ has done on the cross. In every little area of our lives, He brings that. He brings that life, that freedom, and the joy. And we encourage you to be with us. We also would encourage you in these last few moments before Easter to find that person that you know needs to hear good news and bring them along Sunday morning so they can hear it. 
because God wants to share it. For the next few minutes, uh, some of the praise team are going to just keep playing. And uh, if you want to stay and just reflect and spend time in prayer, if you want to just sit reflectively, we want to give you the freedom to do that as long as you'd like. If you're needing to, to head on, that's fine too. Um, but if you'd more quietly slip out, maybe keep your conversation till you get out to the foyer, that'd be great for those that, that maybe need a little more time to reflect and be with the Lord. The Lord bless you. I'll see you Sunday.